Lord, I thank you that when we're weak, you're strong. I thank you for your grace. And Lord, I'm looking to you today and trusting you to overcome my physical weakness, my inabilities, my natural reasoning mind, anything, Lord, that would hinder the Holy Spirit and what you're wanting to say and do here in our midst, Lord. So God, I just trust you to help me physically, spiritually, Lord. I need you. I just need you, Lord. We need you. God, give us ears to hear what you want to say to us today. I pray your word would accomplish what you desire it to accomplish in us today. And all those that might listen, Lord, I pray you will speak to every heart and do what only you can do, Lord. Because we desperately need you in this hour. We need all the hindrances out of the way, Lord, so that we can be individuals that you've called us to be and that we can be the church that you've called us to be, Lord. So God, have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start off by honoring all the men and women that gave their lives for our freedom. This weekend really is about honoring their sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that they gave so that we could sit here today and practice our religion. And Lord, we do thank you for all those that gave the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms we enjoy, Lord. I pray for all the families that have lost loved ones today, Lord, that they would be comforted and you would just visit them, Lord, and come to them today as only you can, Lord. We are grateful, Lord, and we don't ever want to forget the price that was paid for our freedoms in this country, Lord, that are so quickly evaporating. But Lord, we thank you for the men and women today. We honor them this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And what we're going to look at today really is honoring another sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that God gave in his son, Jesus Christ, when he gave him for the sins of this world, for our sins, so that we can be freed from the curse of sin and an eternity lost without God. And Lord, I thank you. Thank you for what you went through, what you endured. No one will ever understand, Father, what you endured watching your son. No one will understand, Jesus, what you endured taking our sins, experiencing that separation that we deserve for all eternity. All the things you bore in your body, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I thank you that you did it willingly. It's actually a joy set before you, you said. You prayed 
Lord, in that garden and you sweat drops of blood and you gave up your will. You said to the Father, nevertheless, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And we honor you today, Lord, and we want our lives to honor that sacrifice. We want our representation of you to honor that sacrifice. So God, I pray you speak to us so that we can rightfully honor you in this hour. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we look at all the things happening in the world, the, the tragedy, the horror of this school shooting, there was another one last night, in uh, I think in Tennessee, just someone on the street just firing into a crowd of people. Young teenagers. And you know, the secular world has all their reasons, but we understand what's happening. Um, when you don't honor God, when you turn away from God, the restraints are removed and evil has its way. And that's what's happening. That's what's causing everything we're seeing. The... the uh, Deception that has come upon this generation that's permeating our schools and confusing this younger generation of their gender. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on of what we're seeing in our society. And we understand why this is happening. It is the judgment of God, it is God giving this nation what it wanted, a nation without God. And this is what it's looking like and will continue to look like the more we reject Him. Because we're not honoring. We read this in Psalm 2 where uh, the nations are raging and it says in there, kiss the sun lest he be angry. In other words, honor the sun lest he be angry. There's a verse in John uh, 5 Uh, let's see, verse 19, I'll start. It says, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. The Father loves the Son, and he shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That all should honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. You could say it's, it's kind of what Psalm 2 is saying. Kiss the Son lest he be angry. Now, what I'm going to talk to you about today is sort of a precursor to Matthew 7. We're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount next week. And the first verse in there is, Judge not, lest you be judged. And then the whole chapter really is talking about judgment in all its different various forms. Um, so I'm going to read a couple of things uh, from Martin Lord jones uh, in his uh, commentary on this. 
and he's talking about Matthew 7, he says, it's as the Lord were saying that the final thing which matters is not what men think of us, but what God thinks of us. In other words, we are reminded that all along that our life here is a journey and a pilgrimage, and it's leading somewhere. It's leading to a final judgment. This really needs to be real to us. An ultimate assessment of our lives and the determination and proclamation of our final and eternal destiny. And wouldn't we agree this is something that should probably be in the forefront of all of our minds? But yet we know the natural man doesn't think about his eternal future. To him, it's only what's happening now in this world. It's only the world he thinks about. He lives for it, and it controls him. But the Christian should be at least someone who walks through this life that is very conscious that he's transient. He's just passing through. And this is kind of a preparatory school. He should always know that he is walking in the presence of God and that he is going on to meet God. And that thought should determine and control his whole life. Didn't Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5 that I preach, I convince. Why? Because I know the terror of the Lord. I know one day we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we are undergoing a process of judgment all the time, whether we realize it or not. Because we're being prepared for the final judgment. Now, as Christians, we should do all things with that idea utter utmost in our minds. Remembering that we shall have to render an account with what we did with our lives. I think Atom shared on that a little bit last week. So Jesus handles in different ways in this chapter, and we're going to start chapter 7 next week, different things, which leads to the climax at the end of the chapter about the two houses, one founded on the rock, one founded on the sand. And it's all talking about judgment. One's going to stand and one isn't. So I want to look at the topic of judging today, but in a different light. Because really, um, our lives as believers should always, always, always be about honoring what Jesus did for us. And if I'm going to honor his sacrifice that I remember vividly, he made real to me 28 years ago. The price that was paid for my sins, the rebel I was to the core, knowing the truth, doing the things I was doing, yet somehow unveiling the reality of the cross to me and understanding in spite of who I was, in spite of the rebel, he died for me, he gave up his life for me. And it caused a response in me. And it's the only proper response to someone that really understands the, the ultimate sacrifice he gave. It was utter surrender. It was utter 
God, my life from this moment on is going to honor what you did for me. How I talk, the way I live, how I interact with people. I want to honor what you did. I don't want to go on being what I was and count what you did as it talks about in Hebrews like a common thing and trample on the grace of God that he gave me that I didn't deserve through his sacrifice. None of us deserved it. I want to honor that. And so the passage we're going to look at is Paul dealing with a church that wasn't honoring it. You know, Paul said in, in Romans, shall, shall we continue to sin that grace abounds? Certainly not. We're warned in Hebrews, if we sin willfully after the knowledge of the truth, there's a fearful expectation of falling into the hands of the living God. This was real to Paul. And Paul loved people. And that's why he came to this church and said the things he said. 1 Corinthians 5.1 It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as not even named among the Gentiles, the unsaved. That a man had his father's wife, and you're puffed up and, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. I know the church at Corinth was very proud of their gifts and how God was moving. And they got out of hand, they got in the flesh, and that can happen, even though the Holy Spirit's moving. The, the, the danger sometimes is us forgetting where we came from, forgetting about the honor, the fear of God, and we get loose and, and we start tolerating and before we know it, we're in the flesh and we're doing things that are not proper. And we see this a lot. It's just it's going on so, so many times now in the present day church. And that's what happens when you overemphasize grace. It, it, does, it promotes sin. It promotes licentiousness. And that's what's happening here. They're almost like proud of themselves, you know, how tolerant they are. And Paul's like, this, this isn't good what you're doing. And he says in verse 3, For I indeed is absent in the body, but present, present in the Spirit have already judged. Wait a minute, Paul, you're not supposed to judge. And he says, I've already judged. As though I are present, him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He's basically saying, you're not helping this person by tolerating their sin. And it's not only going to affect him, we're going to see it's going to affect the whole body if you don't deal with it. Because you're not honoring Jesus' sacrifice for you. 
when you're tolerating sin in your midst. You're trampling the grace of God. You're, You're counting it as a common thing. You're demeaning its meaning to those in the body. I remember in 1993, as I sat across the desk from my pastor and he told me I'd have to leave the church until I got my life in order, and I was very angry. Who are you to tell me I got to leave this church? This was me in 1993. Even though I had already binged on drugs and illicit sex, I wasn't ready to accept the responsibility for my actions. He worked with me, but he finally acknowledged there was nothing else he could do for me. I thank God my pastor did that. We are the dearest of friends today. I still talk to him. I've been involved in so many situations over the years where church discipline was used effectively by the pastor, but unfortunately, many pastors haven't utilized this scripturally taught principle that is so vital to honoring God, to glorifying God to keeping the purity of the church and the effectiveness of the church. What I've heard sometimes is I've tried everything with this guy. You know, I've gotten phone calls over the years from pastors. I don't know what to do. I'm like, have you tried church discipline? And it gets quiet over the phone. Oh, I don't know. What do you mean? But yet the New Testament handles it very specifically, very clearly. We see in Matthew 18, one of the references where the Lord gives step-by-step instructions. If your brother sins, go reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If he doesn't listen to you, take one or two more with you so that the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he still refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And then let him, if he refuses to listen to the church, let him beat you like a Gentile, an unbeliever, and a tax collector. There's very important reasons why this should be done. First, the spiritual integrity of the body. Paul said further on, clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And leaven illustrates like a contagious property that gets in and contaminates and works in the whole lump of flour. And a church that is tolerant of sin will very soon be full of compromise. Second, when someone's sin is dealt with openly, it causes other members of the body to understand sin is serious. It's what crucified Jesus. It's a very serious thing. Um, it damages lives. It, sin is horrible. 
I don't think we fully understand just how detestable sin is. Paul told the Corinthians, I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan. Well, let me go, let me go back to that, sorry. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.20, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all. Pretty clear. Why? So the rest will be fearful of sinning. Pretty clear. Right? We don't need any interpretations there. Again, this seems to be forgotten in our user-friendly churches. So now, this is done also for the sinner to save them. If that's not the goal, what, what would be the goal? Because God doesn't desire that any would perish. God's long-suffering. God will do whatever it takes to save a soul from damnation. So it's done to, to hopefully bring this person. That's what happened to me. I don't know what would have happened if my pastor didn't take that stance. I, I might have died the next week. I don't know. But it was God intervening in my life saying, enough. You need to make a choice. Otherwise, you're going to be given over. And I was at death's door many times. I've decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved. Whatever it takes. Again, we've got to remember something. This is our problem. God is so much more concerned about our eternal destiny than right now. Our problem is we, we just because it's just easier for us or we just naturally tend to look at the now and the natural and, you know, uh, we just hope things will work out. But God's looking at eternity. God understands the weightiness, the seriousness of a soul that's lost because once it's over, it's over. There is no changing the verdict. Again, if this was more real to us, our passion for souls would be so much greater. So if a person refuses to repent, the time will come when God will give them over to their sin. We see that in Romans one twenty four. Again, that's, that's why this country is in the state it's in. That's why the church, in many ways, is in the state it's in. God eventually says, okay, have it. He gives us over. This happened to the man in Corinth. We find out later, he repented. Praise the Lord. The complete restoration of an erring believer is the ultimate goal of church discipline. And we honor the sacrifice of Christ when we do that, who offered himself for our sins. Let's go on in verse 6. He says, 
Your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little, little leaven leavens a whole lump? So I want to kind of link this to a story. I just read this the other day in Joshua 7. And this is why this is so important, okay? We are in a, a spiritual war, and it, it's gotten very intense. I mean, we've always been in spiritual war. Um, it's been raging for centuries. But, it, you know, at the end of wars, it usually gets more intense. You could look in history, and I think about World War II, especially near the end with Japan, just intense. The end with Germany, we've got the Battle of the Bulge. Just it, The enemy knows his time is short, and it gets intense. He, he just lets its effort to throw everything he can. And, of course, the devil is just full of pride. He's insane. He thinks somehow he's going to win. He's lost already. But we're in a battle. And God has called this church, He's called us individually to go and conquer the land, to subdue our enemies, to bring freedom to the captives. But when there's sin in our lives, when there's sin in the church, we will be ineffective. And we see this in Joshua 7. And, and what really what happens here is they just destroy Jericho, like a mighty fortress, something that seemed impossible, and God did a miraculous miracle, just blew the walls down just by them marching around and blowing trumpets, just obeying God and honoring Him and doing what He said in His Word, and God gave them a tremendous victory. And now they're coming to this little podunk town, probably the size of dryers, actually smaller, AI, a little nothing. And they're thinking, ah, oh, this is, this is going to be nothing. You know, don't even send all the army. And they, so they go in with a smaller army thinking, ah, this is going to be easy. And they run with their tail behind their legs. And they lose. People die from it. So Joshua is beside himself like, what in the world's going on? And he's crying out before God. He's on his face before God like, God, what's going on? And God says to him in verse 10, Joshua 7, Get up, Joshua. What are you doing? Laying on your face. Israel has sinned. They've also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. They've taken some of the cursed things and have stolen and deceived, and they put it among their stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed thing from your midst. Get up, Joshua. Sanctify the people. And say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot... Stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. I read Rend the Heavens while I was gone. We need revival. We need the power of God to come down from heaven. And every time you read about revival in Scripture, you look at revival in history, what precedes that? Get the sin out. Repentance. If my people will turn 
What did Hezekiah do? First thing, went into the temple, got all the garbage out of the temple. He dealt with the sin of the people. And until God gets the sin out of his church and out of his people, they're not going to be able to have the victory in these days we're living. Until we start rightfully honoring his sacrifice and living in such a way that we bring honor to his name and to what he did for us. So little did Joshua know that in one draw, in one tribe, in one clan, in one house, there was one guy. One guy who took stuff. But they said all Israel sinned. See, our sin doesn't just affect us. It affects the whole body. And that's what Paul was talking about. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that's why you're not able to stand. That's why you can't push back the darkness in Meadowview, maybe. That's why maybe my spirit isn't be able to move the way you've been praying for. Your glory is not good. His whole family got stoned, his kids. Again, it just shows us the seriousness of sin. So because of Achan's sin, God didn't go with them into battle, and they were defeated. So again, we never sin alone. I quit smoking 28 years ago. But I don't like being around secondhand smoke, because you know why? That other person that's smoking, his smoke's doing damage to me. It's kind of that same analogy. They think, ah, I'm not bothering you. So what? What do you mean I can't smoke in the restaurant? Well, you're giving other people cancer. Our sin affects other people. So, Joshua had to do a house cleaning. God's doing a house cleaning in his church. I don't mean just here. In general, it is time. Because he's preparing to move. He's preparing to raise up a people in this hour. That are going to be full of his power. They're going to go forth. That are going to honor him in the right way. That are going to glorify him. And we are going to see multitudes come to the Lord. We are going to see a great harvest. But we just got to deal with some things first. You know, the scriptures describe believers as a chosen people, a royal people, a holy nation, a people that belong to God. We shouldn't be like the world. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, it says, Come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Don't be like the world. That's not who you are anymore. 2 Corinthians 7, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of the reverence for God, honoring Him, honoring His sacrifice. Let that be our goal, to live a holy life, to do the things that are pleasing to Him. I want to honor Him. And I want my life to be effective in a way that when people see me, they see Him. They get a a true representation of Him. And His power, His words, His Spirit is able to come forth out of my life and affect people and do what only He can do. That's not going to happen if there's sin in my life. I'm not honoring him. 
Above all, Christians are called to keep the words of Christ, to obey his commandments, to walk and live as Jesus did. You know, it was that way in the first century church. God was setting a stand. We all want to be like the church in the book of Acts, right? I do. That's what we're believing God for. But yet we see with that came a standard. And we see in the early church, right, a married couple that sold some property, brought an offering to the church, passed it off as the entire amount they had received, but in reality held back a portion. And the Apostle Peter said they were lying to the Holy Spirit and they were both struck dead. Therefore, verse 7, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. Since you are truly unleavened, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. What's he talking about? Well, Paul understood the Old Testament. He understood about the Paschal Lamb. He understood the preparation that had to go about, that they had to go through their house and search for old leaven leaven and get it out of the house. He understood what the fire represented that roasted that that lamb. It It was a picture of God's judgment coming on that lamb who was taking the sins of the people. And they were to prepare for that so that they can honor what God was about to do, pass them over. It's no different for us. How much more us, the Lamb of God, that we should honor Him and purge out anything that wouldn't honor His sacrifice for us. Leaven works in secret, in the unseen. It really is a picture of hypocrisy and deceit And like I said earlier, it's like a corruption that affects the whole lump. And the pastoral lamb, we know, was a type of Christ. We see this in 1 Corinthians 11, which we're going to celebrate at the end of this message, where Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper, and it's all about honoring his sacrifice. They're remembering what he did. He says, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread, drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. In other words, you won't be honoring him. But let a man examine himself. Let a man judge himself. And let him so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, not understanding the price that was paid for their sin, for our sin. And for this reason, many are weak and sick and many sleep. And that means dead. They died. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned by the world. And I was thinking about that walking up the road this morning. 
And I was so thankful for the constant judging that God does in my life. He's constantly judging me. Whether it's just by the Holy Spirit convicting me, whether it's when I'm reading the Word of God, and the Word of God does what it says it'll do, because it's living and active, and it discerns, and it shows me even the intents and thoughts of my mind and heart. But I'm also thankful when that happens. I know where to run. Like it talks about further down there in Hebrews 4, I run to Him. And that's the whole gift of repentance. So judging is great if we're letting it do what it's supposed to do. Perfect us more and more into His holiness. Because God chastens all those that are His. So it, it makes me feel loved. It makes me know I'm His. That he doesn't—he loves me enough. He doesn't want to leave me the way I am. But also, he loves me enough. He understands the value of my soul. That he hounds me and doesn't leave me alone, especially when I'm going off track. Or, or I think about even over 28 years ago when I was thinking I was a Christian, and I was on the pathway to death. I knew the truth, but I wasn't living it. He spared me an eternity of a gnawing worm. I don't even want to go there. But yet, how many, how many in the church, how many outside of the church, they don't understand. They don't understand. They're not seeing right. And if there's not a standard, if the Spirit of God isn't the one working, if it's, if it's just men and personalities and we're watering down things, how will they know? How will they be shaken out of their slumber? That's what happened to me. I needed to be shooken up. I needed God to grab me by the scuff of the, 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 the neck because I was about to step off of a cliff. And He loved me enough to put people into my life, to rebuke me, to exhort me, to correct me, but also to encourage me. He goes on in verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle, not to keep company with the sexual immoral people. Yet, I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of this world or with covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, who's covetous, who's an idolater, who's a reviler, who's a drunkard, who's an extortioner, don't even eat with them. What do I do with that scripture in the modern day seeker-friendly church? Oh, that's, that's, that's not mercy. That's mean. How could you do that? 
We'll ask God how He does that. He does it because He truly loves people. Not with a humanistic love that only looks at the now. But He loves with an eternal love. He loves with a love that is willing to be hated, mocked, spit on, beaten, even become guilty when He's not. But yet, in the midst of it all, pray anyway. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. That's why. And He's okay with it. How many times have we accused God, right? You're not fair. And he just still loves us because he knows. He sees differently than we do. He sees with an eternal purpose. He's not looking at, God, why do I got to keep throwing this? I felt this. Oh, I'm tired of being sick. I told someone the other day, you know, I, we all have our struggles, right? Our thorn in the flesh. I'm so thankful for my thorn in the flesh. Because if I didn't have it, I would be the most prideful man in the world. I'm still prideful. But it helps me see my need for God. My thorn. I actually have a few thorns. I'm thankful for them. They help me see right. They help me understand my need for God. What have I had to do with judging those who are outside? No, we're to share the gospel with those outside. Do you not judge those who are inside? Those who are outside, God will take care of them. Therefore, put away from yourselves this evil person. I think a lot of times the Word of God puts it harsher than we do because, again, we want to tone it down a little bit. But Paul doesn't tone it down. This evil person? He doesn't say this nice person that, yeah, they're caught up in sin, but they're basically a nice person. No, he says this evil person. In Philippians one twenty seven. It says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what God's calling us here to do. But with that comes honoring Him. We have to honor Him. We have to honor His sacrifice. We have to be determined to let judgment come to the house of God, to let judgment come into my own heart. If we really want God to move and do the things we pray for in a greater way. I wondered about the application in that whole defeat of Ai as far as a comparison to Lighthouse or the church in general. What happens when a member of a congregation is involved in ongoing adulterous affair or they're stealing or they're a gossip or they're a divisive person? Whatever it might be. 
how does that really affect the church if we just take Scripture for what it says? If the church is a body, then what we're told is it affects all of us, right? No matter how small, sin is like a cancer. It will grow. It will destroy the whole body. We can't be tolerant of things that God is not tolerant of. That's what's wrong in the world. That's what so many churches and believers are caving to. We've got to be tolerant. We've got to find middle ground. There is no middle ground with the gospel. There is no middle ground with the truth of God's word. So I pray we'll understand the importance of honoring him, of dealing with things in our lives, dealing with things in the church, being of one mind, one spirit. That's what they were in the in the book of Acts. They were of one mind, one spirit. They all had an understanding. God's in our midst. God's in our midst. He's working. This isn't a time to play church. And they were facing a lot of persecution, a lot of opposition, a lot of things on the horizon, like we maybe are seeing the dark clouds on the horizon. We know what's coming. And God is saying, this is a time of war. And you can't take the land if there's sin in the camp, if there's sin in your life. You're not, I I won't be with you. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would grant us grace to honor His sacrifice. So His precious blood can cleanse us so we can find mercy and grace and help in our time of need at that mercy of grace, at that throne of grace and so that we can glorify God to those around us. You know, it'll be a testimony to the world around us if we'll do that. Again, God is calling us to take the land. He's calling us to subdue the enemy. We're in a spiritual battle. We need God's presence and power to go with us. We're going to have communion in a little bit here. But before... I finish. I just want to say this to you. Repentance is one of the most precious gifts God has given to us. So we're going to have the Lord's Supper here in a little bit. And there's no reason. Anyone here, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what sin you're dealing with. If you will allow the Holy Spirit, if you will ask God, God, grant me repentance. God, help me to humble myself. Better yet, I'm choosing to humble myself. God, bring about in my heart a true brokenness. Grant me godly sorrow, Lord. Right now, right now, if there's something in your life, there's something... 
God has been dealing with you. Don't come to the Lord's Supper with sin in your heart. It's dangerous. Honor Him. Honor what He did for you on the cross. Get the sin out. Repent. Turn to Him. Let Him cleanse you. Let Him wash away the filth of your sin. That's why He died. That's what the sacrifice is all about. It's not hopeless. Judgment is wonderful. I mean, you, you see it all throughout. Because after that, that's when times of refreshing come. That's when God says, okay, now I can do what I want to do. Just agree with God. Agree with the Holy Spirit. Agree with His Word. Stop resisting Him. So God, I pray right now. I pray this for all of us, Lord. Bring that conviction that only You can bring. That's why the Holy Spirit came into the world. To convict men of sin. To judge it out now so we're not judged later. You didn't come to condemn us. You came so we could have life. And if we're still breathing, there's hope, Lord. And You're calling us. You're calling Your people. Come out. Come out, my people. Be separate. Be holy, for I am holy. God, I pray the Holy Spirit will grant us the light and the grace to truly repent and to turn away from our rebellion, from whatever sin you've been pointing out to us, dealing with us about, maybe making real right now, whether it's with another person, whatever it is, Lord. We want to come before your table. We want to come as we remember what you did. We want to honor your sacrifice so that you can be glorified in us and in your people the way you're wanting to in these days so that we can go and take the land so the enemy is subdued before us, Lord. Because you're in our midst. Because your presence goes before us. Has nothing to do with us. So God, I pray now that you would grant us repentance. Lord, judge us now. Lord, judge the evil out of our hearts. Out of this church. Out of your church as a whole, Lord. Get it out. Separate your people unto yourself, Lord. We need revival. We need You to come. We need You to rend the heavens, Lord. But Lord, we know, we understand, You command first that we repent, that we get the sin out, Lord. So I pray we would honor You today. We would honor You. We would turn away. And we would turn back to You. And I thank You and I trust You to do it. In Jesus' name. So, uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have the Lord's Supper.